how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Hello, everyone. This is Sober Sex, and we'd love to welcome to the show Mary H.K. Choi, who is a YA author. New book, Yoke, is coming out March 2nd. Also, a fantastic podcast host of two of our favorites, Hey Cool Job and Hey Cool Life. Welcome, Mary. We are so thrilled to have you on Sober Sex. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to have you here. Where are you today? Um, I'm actually at home in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like freezing and my apartment is trying to kill me with like the baseboard heating. I don't know if you recall this about New York, but the way that it tries to desiccate you. (laughs) And so you're just like a human scab by the end of the day. (laughs) Oh my God. Also, at least you don't have like a radiator that like burns your flesh if you get anywhere near it. So that's good. Yeah, true. That those are like only the only two options, right? It's no three. Let's be honest. It's either frigid because there is no heat, baseboard heating that dries you out, or just the thing that scalds you that is in like some really inconvenient part of your house, like like in the kitchen or in the bathroom. And you're like, thank you. And if you lean on it, you get like a third degree burn. <laughs> oh, fully, fully. And <laughs> and it, and it looks like you know like the old school like curling iron burn where it's like oh on your God. neck, just like some tender <laughs> underbelly flesh will just get scalded. So that's super fun. This is like more evidence to the fact that like New Yorkers can't be happy because they must be tough. <laughs> Well, right. It's like unless you have like a completely just like hard, hard exoskeleton, unless like you are like <laughs> just a callus, you can't survive. But also, you know, yes and no. I mean, New York is so specific that if you've been here for a while, I think it's just more Stockholm syndrome than anything else. It's just like trauma bonding. <laughs> just in national. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's exactly. I love it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Or like, this is love. It's painful. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so, speaking of that, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm like maintaining. I am I'm good. Like my book is coming out as I mentioned or as you mentioned and as I keep mentioning in life to anyone who will listen and that's always really weird. Like I think that domestically, aka in the United States, it's like everything prior to the inauguration like the evening of the inauguration when we could all sort of like lean back and think of for just a split second, okay, so this is happening. Like this seems to have taken, like it took. And (laughs) until then, like everyone was just treating the top of the year as if it's like Q5 of 2020. And so there was a huge part of my brain that was just like, you're safe. You don't have to do any promotion. Like this book is not coming out until next year. And I felt that way until two days ago. And then I did the math and I was oh, like, oh, holy like, three months. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I was just like, no, it's like five weeks. Like February isn't real. And like, <laughs> no, it's just like, it's like Sunday. It's like a figment of someone else's imagination. <laughs> it's such a short month and it's winter. So you're just like, Ugh. it's like the, the afternoon where you nap for three hours and you wake up and you're like, I'm so dehydrated. What time is it? 
that is February. And then, and then it's two days and then the book is out. So I'm in like, (laughs) yeah, I'm just in like a kind of suspended panic. And what is yoke about? It is about two sisters who live in New York. They are um, Korean and one of the sisters gets sick and the other sister has to help her by dint of, they have to like change. They have to like basically like flip their um, identities so that one can have health insurance on the other one. And so, and they don't get along. So it's really fraught. It's pretty gnarly. There's a lot there in terms of like, you know, identity, especially with like that whole minority thing is that I experience anyway as an East Asian, where it's like, we're, we're generally sort of like, you know, like interchangeable. And so there is this sort of erasure thing that's, that's happening between the two of them in terms of like, and also like, you know, we're the worst at boundaries. And so there's so much like enmeshment and there's so much like, you know, disassociation, and um, so it's really fun and lighthearted and exactly what I was looking for in the dead of winter. No, I mean, but it's also just about intimacy and love and how you think of love as being this one thing, but when in fact it's something else and how to invite that in. And the fact that for so many people, especially for me, where I pride myself so much on, especially as a woman, especially as a woman of color, on being like really self-sufficient in just really resourceful, being able to figure things out and how that's so isolating because Mm. nothing engenders intimacy quite like asking for help. And so it's about the language of that and how difficult, again, in my personal experience and what I've heard whether it's anecdotal or just like just worldwide, but like of women where it is difficult to ask for help. Um, And so it's a lot about that as well. And secrets. Yeah. I can't wait to read that. That's very exciting. I'm excited. And that's the the other thing too. It's like, I have, it's just this thing and I'm sure you guys relate. It's like the amount of like excitement you can experience about a thing ever is like, one beat and then it's like for me so much anxiety around (laughs) the thing existing and people seeing it like you know I my partner is a musician and they're always talking about how when they have releases they want to sort of gently just sink it into a body of water (laughs) not tell anyone (laughs) and like I really relate to that and so you know I have a lot of anxiety but I'm excited like I think this book was really gnarly on its way out. Mm. And that's kind of birth. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, you know, like giving birth to like a lawn chair. It was just like, it had like nine elbows and like 14 shoulders. And I was like, Oh my God. And so with that in mind, I am proud of it, whatever the reception will be, but I have fear because to say in a pandemic, stop the presses. There's this great book for teens. I would like you to read. (laughs) It's just like a tough sell. I hear you. I have an album coming out on March 12th. (laughs) Plug, 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 plug. But like, (laughs) but it's that right. It's like the actual destination, like the moment that you're supposedly waiting for to have this thing like consumable by other people is awful. (laughs) Cause you're like, and then what do I do with my life? (laughs) 
<laughs> totally. I think the author Ian McEwen had this quote of like, and also like, LOL, white male writers, but basically <laughs> talking about how publicity is like being the employee of your former self. And I really feel that. I'm just like, oh, like, do they care? I wrote this last year. Like, it's is it uh-huh. relevant? And then it's just, it, but it's naturally just such a, just a part of it, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And it sounds like it's kind of a departure from your previous work, which is a little bit more kind of not lighthearted because there's definitely a lot of like identity stuff in there, but also like it's romantic. There's a lot of kind of, yeah, like I really loved emergency contact plug. <laughs> Just going to say plug whenever I plug anything. <laughs> it's a new thing I'm doing. <laughs> but um, this that was really like kind of delicious to read because that kind of empathy for characters who are like have crushes on each other (laughs) it's a different sensation than kind of the anxiety that you're talking about about like people who don't like each other switching identities (laughs) no totally and I could see that and but the thing is it's like it is really there are romantic things in it like obvious obvious there's like a really (laughs) really hot dude in it and it's just (laughs) and every part of it is but it's interesting and it's kind of like really germane, I think, to this podcast and the sort of excavational work I'm doing myself, which is that like, it's still, it's still really romantic in that New York way where you're like, oh my God, especially when you're young, where you're just like drinking in, like huffing the power of like hooking Mm -hmm. up with someone who, who you think is creative, whose work and like you respect and whose opinions you respect and whose taste is is amazing. And it's so funny because it is different, but it's also like so specific, which is like the romantic interest has a great apartment. So like, (laughs) I don't know about you, but for me, this is so deeply romantic. Yes. (laughs) And he has like great furniture. Like he inherited his mother's like linear rosé sectional. And so there there are things in it that I find very butterflies- (laughs) fluttering my stomach but it it's that sort of but it's it is a little bit different it's not solely just like meat cutes or like that sort of thing it's it's more just kind of like having a crush on someone and then worrying that they're out of your league Mm. and what that says about you and what that says about like your value system and Mm. You know, it's it's funny because like emergency contact is really romantic and it is really sweet, but at, at its core, it is a story about consent and like sexual assault and trust and anxiety and and money, which a lot of people don't talk about. And then my second book too, it's like a, a much more whirlwind love affair, but that too is about depression, identity, mixed race identity, and money. <laughs> And power dynamics. And so this book is about consent in a lot of ways. And, and like, and what that means and how even consent internally, as you sort of parse that out for yourself is a gradient. Like you think it's such a binary, but it's not, it's like this constant conversation that you're having with yourself. Absolutely. It's not like you can just have it once and you're like, okay, we're done with the consent thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Move on. And ongoing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's really funny. And I think that too, like yoga is about two sisters and it is about all these things, but it really interrogates, I think this notion of a binary in any system because I would love if it was all a zero or one. 
Like that's so mm. clean and manageable yeah. and like rememberable, aka memorable. But, <laughs> <laughs> <Edit> that out. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, I just so that's kind of what yoke is about. It's a tougher nut to write and a tougher, but I don't necessarily think it's a tougher nut to ingest. I've heard, like I sent this book out to some early readers and there was a lot of people hitting me up being like, um, I stayed up all night to read this. Um, I cried, question mark, question mark. <laughs> and, you know, things like that. So I think it with my books, it's, I just have a lot of faith that it will find its reader. But I do also really deeply appreciate that the reader might, that that it might not be for everyone. And what a beautiful thing to be able to kind of separate yourself from that, because as much anxiety as there is about like the actual like release itself, like it being in the world, it sounds like you have a really, um, a lot of faith in the work itself and in the process that kind of got you there, even if it was uncomfortable that like, it's okay. Like, or dare I say beautiful, like, you know, like, and like, Totally. And that's the thing about like, okay, beautiful and everything. It's like, you know, I could only write the book that I can write. Like I have found in my personal practice and which is so funny because I get really shameful around like my own artistry and my work because I'm just like, it's so commodified. It's so commercial because that is the sort of type of work that I do. But that's just my own like sort of situation, but like, I can only write the book that I want to write. Like I cannot Mm. aim for anything. Like I don't know what's going to do well. I certainly didn't anticipate a fucking pandemic in the writing of this. So like there are so many things that are unpredictable and I have to trust that what is just is, and it's not a moral issue. Nothing I could have done differently is available to me because I don't know how to do things until I know how to do things. And if this is just like an ongoing gathering of data, and this book is just a data point where people can look at my body of work and be like, oh, I understand why this book came out. Like I have to, on some level, despite every single time wanting to make the bestseller list, I have to trust that that will be enough. Mm. And that if for some reason that slammed door in my face, which would never happen because I love my publisher so dearly, but were it to, if it's like, this is such a flop and you will never work in this town again, I have to trust that too. Like I have to trust that that is like the kind of like protective rejection that I need in that moment because I could not change course otherwise. And I needed to change course for one reason or another. That's amazing. How did you arrive at that point of integrity in creativity? Because that doesn't bless everybody who works creatively, you know? Um, One thing that befell me is that I aged. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly. I don't know anything about aging. I'm I'm immune to aging. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, I've heard about that. Tell us more. I I know, I read about that somewhere. Um, I got like this potion that no one else got, but I'm just keeping it. I'm just actually announcing it for the first time. (laughs) Right, you're like, there's going to be a really great ad for it later. Um, No, (laughs) I... I'm 41. Like, what a tremendous gift. Mm. (gasps) Holy crap. Like, for so long, I just, you know, 
the the self-talk was just so destructive and corrosive around how I should have written a book sooner or like, why did I languish in this other field or like, why was it that da da da? And like, you know, if I was white, if I was a man, if I was this, if I was that, if I, if I had more, um, self-assuredness, if I didn't wait to be anointed by some cosign, like there's all these things that I really, if I'm doing like the CSI Miami, like (laughs) just like looking at all the things that went wrong, like (laughs) I could, yeah, exactly. Like I could just stay there forever. But the truth is I just, everything happened. I think when it was supposed to, and I only know what I know how to do now. And but to be honest, like to the short answer, um, <laughs> sorry, my alarm went off and it's also Fleetwood Mag. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I will turn off my alarm. Cut that out. I'm so sorry. No worries. That was so bracing. That was just like, huh. um, yeah, it totally. It was like sort of. I'll be with you everywhere with Fleetwood Mag or whatever. <laughs> that's so epic. That's like such a hopeful note to start your morning on, though. Like, I kind of like as an alarm. It's just like, yeah, like I can, I can do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I fucked your flow. No, don't like whatever. It's like the short answer to your question, though, is. I joined some 12-step programs. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Like, I got sober. I, you know, changed therapists and, like, started cognitive behavioral therapy. I do things differently. I do things in a way that is extremely unnatural, both to my, like, inclinations and my upbringing. And that gives me a choice. Like, I am the way I am for a variety of reasons. I, I primarily identify as an addict. Like I do not know what to do about feelings other than like squash them in some way or manage them in some way or make them go faster or turn up the volume or turn down the volume or like put a human body in the way of that or like some food or not eating food or like, you know, puking up the foods because God forbid I make a decision to have to stick with it. Like, and I just don't do that anymore imperfectly. Like I still have like, I don't identify as like an alcoholic. So like sometimes I'll, I'll sniff around a drink and I'll be like, Hmm, maybe this will make me feel this certain way. And inevitably I'm like, Hmm, I am already hung over like two thirds into this beverage. This was a bad, bad decision. <laughs> but like, like those things will happen, but I just have so much more leeway and I just have so much more of a choice. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to frame it. <laughs> like the option to kind of reframe instead of all that, as you called it, like corrosive self-talk about like, why didn't I, or why did I, or it's all wrong anyway, to be able to have kind of an option of framing it. It was like, it's exactly as it should be. And I accept that. And I'm like, I'm ride or die for the will of the universe as like a loving channel, like to, to be able to have that as an option of how I see the world is such a fucking miracle. I mean, that's the thing. I look at my life and I'm just like, how can I not see it for like this, like benevolent conspiracy? Like, holy shit. Like I, as much as I'm able to take things for granted in a moment by moment basis, like I am living this crazy life. It is like absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. It is 
everything I really even hope to want. And it feels super different than what I thought it would. Like I thought it would solve literally every fucking problem. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. I know. I'll be like, and I've arrived. And then it's just like the end or something. And it's not like 41. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) Totally. I've won and seen, you know, like it's amazing. Your prizes. Totally. And it keeps going. And each day is weird. And like each day is like hard and in a different way, but like, I think this is what it is. Like, I think this is the show. Like everything about my life prior to, I think like sobriety and like seeking help and, and for what it's worth, like I'm in the 12 step program for eating disorders because until that got quiet enough that I could live other aspects of my life, that that was just the, the emergency in my life. And Mm. until that, And recently doing the 12 step program for like how to be a person who is also an adult like that, that one is, they're both just really wonderful and they're really hard and it's things I work at and I don't know how I ended up here, but that's, that's what I'm doing. And for me for today, like, I don't know, for so long, I thought it would be like, I had to get to this sort of place, this like level of perfection or this level of like fulfilling an expectation before my life could start. God, yeah. But now I'm just like, I'm fucking washed, man. Like I'm in my like heart, I'm like fully in my 40s. And 40s are really funny because there's no point in even parsing early 40s, mid 40s, late 40s. Because by 40, you're like, the shit is so fast, but also long. (laughs) I'm in my 40s. I don't know. Um, yeah. And, but this is the ride. This is the show. And it's happening right now. It's <laughs> like, happening right now. Every day it's the show. And I bring that, I bring to that the level of like gratitude, apprehension, and kind of almost like gentleness. Like, it's not going to be perfect. Like, spoiler, it's not going to be what you thought it was. Like, that I try to. And so far that, is going okay. It certainly sounds like it. I mean, yeah. just to kind of even again, like to use our oft quoted slogan of like just for today, it, if that's working, like that's such a beautiful thing, especially totally. during a pandemic. <laughs> totally, where it like each day feels like the previous day. And like there is a part, I think also in winter where like the circadian rhythm is such that like 4.15, you're like, ah, yes, bedtime. It's so embarrassing when we're like on a meeting or something with people from the US and they're like getting up, having the morning coffee. And I'm like, it's 5 p.m. I'm in bed. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like that's like regional too, like in California where there's like no climate, where it's just like genuinely the same day every day. Like they get up at like... 5 30 and they they don't go to bed until after like new york goes to sleep and i'm just like what are your lives no no. (laughs) totally like what are your lives i think we're talking about depression (laughs) as someone who suffers from seasonal affective disorder i'm like when i lived in california i too felt like that and now i'm like oh it's another day (laughs) yeah totally they're like ah yes five time to hike and i'm like oh my god Uh Oh my God. Afternoon. What is that? (laughs) But it's hard to live in California. I lived in LA for two years and the whole time, the thing that was going on in my head is like, you're not allowed to be depressed Mm -hmm. because it's sunny and that is its own private hell. 
It is. Jesus. Or that, like, I didn't even realize that that's what I was experiencing on, like, like anxiety and depression on a low-key level because I could just kind of, like, go mountain run my feelings out and, like, not have oh, to really, really, like, deal with anything ever. Like, and yeah. I've arrived in Paris where there's winter and it's like, oh, this wasn't just drugs. <laughs> like, this, this totally. is who I am. Totally. <laughs> Wherever I go, there I am. Yeah, totally. Mm. You really Except do. California where I don't deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're it's like- not the same in like Miami though. I went to Miami once for a week and I literally just didn't even recognize myself at the end. I was like up at six and I was like, I'm going off to get juice and do yoga. <laughs> and then I'm fucking in bed at 10, like happily. Yeah, you know, I mean, with not a care in the world, just time. Ooh, there was time for everything. everything. <laughs> yes. But I mean, with both places, I mean, the only downside is like, if you were to live in LA or Miami, then you would be in LA or Miami. Right. <laughs> Relentlessly. <laughs> uh, we just, we just need some winter houses, like not summer houses. The summer house in France is just fine, but the winter houses <laughs> yeah. just to like mitigate this feeling of constant, like, yeah. uh, you did. Do you think you would go though? Do you think you would honestly go if you knew this was what was waiting for you? January, February, that nap month that you so eloquently described. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like the thing I'm learning as someone who did not winter here. Like I, like as soon, I mean, there are, there are personal decisions that I made in my life among them, like not having children and it's offset by other decisions. Like I don't spend February and March in New York. And so historically (laughs) I would be in LA for February and March because there's nothing quite like that, you know, like that feeling of like 360 SSRI. Wow. But I'm, I'm here and it's, it's also profoundly okay. Mm. Like I'm like, I'm like looking at trees and I'm being like, oh my God, trees, like you guys' personalities are super different in the winter. Like I can tell you guys look way more different. I take you way, way more for granted in the summer. And right now everyone's super different and I can feel your energy and it feels different. And that's nice. And I sound You're talking about trees in second person. Like you guys are super different. It's very adorable, (laughs) by the way. And I appreciate trees. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I have ever heard anybody from New York talk about trees like that. I well, didn't even that's know. Also a blessing. Like I live really close to the park. And oh, nice. yeah. Where tree grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> <you know. laughs> <laughs> totally. And you know, they're all giving trees. They're great. Oh. No, um, yeah, no, they're just it's 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 nice. It's like it, also it's obvious that I'm clearly like feral and like have like stir crazy inside brain because i'm like hey buddies how are you and it's meanwhile, like <laughs> dogs being walked and like trees or i'm like hey guys good to see you again like don't talk to me until i've had my coffee am i right you know what i mean because like there's no one in my life right now amen yes <laughs> yes i want to be in that park just like following you watching this situation hey yeah totally i mean hey, you pretty guys. good hey you guys say hello hey, to your mother man yeah, haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> You're looking cute today. Um, <laughs> two kind of, I don't know, this is not a segue. It's the opposite of a segue, but it, it just it. like throws it's it. It's a slingshot. Do it. Um, so um, as the title of the show suggests, we talk about sex on Sober Sex. And one of the questions we kind of start the conversation with is like, what were some of the early messages that you received around sex and sexuality and when you were when you were growing up? Yeah, that's actually a really important question. and something I'm so glad to be asked because it's just something that we don't talk about a lot. And 
Um, so just a pitch for gratitude. Um, but hmm. yeah, a lot of the messaging around sex, I think from my household was largely informed by a Catholic upbringing and also this like sort of patriarchal society, like the interesting thing I think about immigrants is everything. We're fabulous. No, just immigrants is that like when your parents decamp for another place, there's almost this like attitude of their experience in that place sort of like being trapped in amber. So like the Korea that my parents left when we moved to Hong Kong, that was like preserved in like the the early, early 80s, like late 70s, basically. And so they kind of carry that with them. And I relate to that. That's like how I think about New York. <laughs> it's totally. like perpetually 2006. Totally. And like, so there, there are a lot, and just generationally, there's a lot of like differences between like, I think where sexuality was in their lives and where it was in my lives, even around sexu- sex education. And so like my all the signaling that I got was very shame-based. Like even when we were watching a movie and there was a kissing scene, it would be this deeply uncomfortable thing in my house. We were not a naked house. We were um, very covered up. There was like this like duality of shame, I think because of the patriarchal thing of Korea um, when my father was growing up and what his expectations are and the Catholicism, it's like even something like wearing lipstick or painting nails was like sort of viewed as like almost sexualized was like with like attraction and sex as like the end goal of that. So like even bearing witness to that would be sort of like poo-pooed and like uncomfortable. So like shame, I think is like my earliest sort of memories around sexuality Mm -hmm. and, and the fact, and like thinking that anything sexual was sort of ingrained in shame was a thing. And then also, you know, because I found food as a, as solace and as the most helpful tool in order to sort of control my feelings. You know, I found food so early, like food is the drug that you find super early as, as well as like sugar. And so I found food when I was little. And so as I developed and as um, I kind of became a chubby kid, that too sort of got folded into it where it's just like you're unwieldy and unattractive. There's too much of you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something I think in how just like chubby girls or like curvier girls are like sexualized a lot sooner, like all of this stuff. And so that also got folded into it. And so like in a lot of ways, while the sort of anatomical, biological aspects of a sexual education were available to me in the most like, like, you know, lacking nuance in any sort of way, like almost like didactic, like just, (laughs) you know, a a drawing. It's kind of like the cross-section drawing of like how to put a tampon in where you're looking at it and being like, who is this helpful for? <laughs> like, I don't know. Anyone? Yeah, like, anyone. I, like, I don't know what my cervix looks like from the side when you slice me in half, you know? And so it was like, so, true. so that's kind of the information that I got around sex. Mm. And like, oh, God forbid, like, I get any information around intimacy, Oof. you know? And so that's that's my sexual upbringing. I mean, do you feel like writing kind of 
in a very specific young adult fiction genre, which happens to be my very favorite. <laughs> oh, like, do you find that you were able to kind of re, like, re-explore or recalibrate the feelings of like coming of age and angst and joy and like intensity, um, within the writing process that like you were able to kind of um, rewire yourself as you got to kind of not, and that's, that's not to say like vicariously live through characters, but it sounds like your experience while growing up was like, this stuff was like not allowed <laughs> the exploration, I mean, the ideas like not okay. And then, then you choose to write about it specifically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, I workshop a lot. Like the, the reason why mothers are such a huge theme in my books is because I'm like writing fan fiction for my life. Like some of the mm. conversations you have, you know, it's just like, there's that saying of in 12 step where it's like, don't go to the hardware store for oranges, where it's like, don't go to places and people that just simply don't have what you're looking for. And Mm -hmm. there are, I want certain conversations with my mother that I'm not going to have. And it is healing for me to be able to sort of like have that in my book. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And, you know, and the other thing too, is that like, I started this kind of work working on myself, which is like such a, hilarious way of putting it, but I started really into it. <laughs> yeah. Like I okay. started looking inside of it as this, as my first book was coming out. Like I knew that the level of scrutiny and my own self-obsession and my own sort of like hard wiring to believe that, you know, it's that addict thing of a being a piece of shit in the middle of the universe where you're just like, everyone is thinking about how bad I am, which mm-hmm. is very specific type of egocentrism where it's like, you know, and so I started doing this work as this book came out because I was like, I was, I'm not going to survive putting a book out with all my feelings um, and people being able to talk to me about this if I don't look into some of this. And, you know, emergency contact, again, that's about like sexual assault because that is part of my story. And And I was workshopping that and I was finding language around it. And there's something so amazingly wonderful about how putting words around it and seeing how those words appear in public sort of takes the sting of some of the shame away. Mm -hmm. And being able to accurately describe something is also super powerful because it instantly becomes more manageable because you know, it's not like Voldemort. It's like, you don't invoke it. It doesn't become more powerful. It's just like, it, it becomes a thing that, you know, instead of this like ambient, huge, debilitating, amorphous, like thing that covers everything type of feeling. Mm. Totally. And like the imagination about what other people, what negative things other people are thinking about me, which is kind of how my shame presents itself (laughs) is somehow it's immediately dismantled because it's like, it's not true if I'm naming it and you're there. (laughs) Totally. And also, you know, it's that, that thing of like, oh, there's something so amazing about talking about the most shameful things because inevitably other people have experienced it. And that is so beautiful because it's like, there's, you know, it's like someone once told me like, you're not that good to be that bad. Like you're not like famous for being terrible. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so important. I I need to hear that. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so like everything that I've gone through, someone's gone through. And I just happened to be in a kind of a program where 
those people are connected and those Mm -hmm. people talk about those things enough that there's always someone who's going to be able to be like, I've experienced this. This is what happened to me. You don't have to, this is not advice at all. This is just what happened to me. Yeah. And you get to hear somebody else put their words on it and figure out your words to go with it. Totally. And by naming it, you're doing that for somebody else. It's like, that is the being of service in terms of like, by naming it, you are actually allowing someone else to heal, which I think like, if I'm not willing to do it for myself, then at least I can be willing to do it for somebody else. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the the whole thing about writing for young people and writing for teens is that like, I, you know, I, I basically have a really big neon sign being like, Hey, bulimic or like, Hey, like, you know, sexual assault and like, you know, survivor. And that's that. You know, it's just like, to me, that's important because that's a kind of representation too. Not like, you know, it's that that's also a kind of intersectionality that is vital. Like, especially, yeah, I mean, not sorry to interrupt, but especially if you're leading with this idea that like we ask you how you are and you're like, I'm well, like I'm copacetic, I'm anxious because this thing's happening, but you're like, you wrote fucking, this is your third book, you know? Like what a miracle. Like the, it's, a, yeah, again, it's okay and it's beautiful and these other things are true. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think that, you know, again, having an eating disorder and also being an addict in the way that I am, it's all about a scarcity mentality. If I don't take care of myself right now, no one else is going to do it. If I don't hoard my affections, if I don't hoard my time, if I don't like... If I don't, you know, I would, I have such a scarcity that like, I, it, this is just funny and I share it because it's like, I'm anorexic about the way I use serum. Like hmm. I, I'm like, I'm not good enough to use the serum. And I'm like, bitch, time is passing. You're aging. You need that serum yesterday. <laughs> use the serum. Yeah. Don't save yeah. the serum. And I have anorexic thinking around like, I'm going to save this sweatshirt. I'm going to save this. I'm going to save, mm. I'm not going to use those towels. I'm not going to use that sheet. These socks are for when you're better. Like I have so much of that. And that is, I do have an eating sort of disorder, but that mentality is the operating system that dictates everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't even remember my point, but like, it's just like, I need to know that about myself and just need to just keep an eye out for that in the way I think about like my books, in the way I think about like, everything. And I talk about it to be like, Hey, do you guys have this? Like, because if you do, like, apparently it's just a thing that people have. Right. (laughs) Doesn't mean you're cursed forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the idea of like, Oh, the, the kind of anorexia of just like across the board mentality, like, just say like saving it for later. I I think as a creator, that's a very unsustainable system, you know, because then it never gets like, we never get to kind of fully realize anything because I'm saving all my good ideas for like an undefined future. Yeah. And it's like, you, you're not dilated. Like as a creative, my God, like I want to be as big a fucking like receptor as possible Hmm. and if i'm just out here being clenchy being like like let me just hoard this or let me be tight with this or let me not interact with you or let me not ask questions or let me isolate or let me like just be a little fucking energy golem and (laughs) like you can't mix anything from there yeah yeah 
So to kind of backtrack, how did that like, and not to too hard armchair psychology, but like, how did the kind of early messages you were receiving around sex and sexuality, like, um, crystallize into that kind of mentality? Like, how did your understanding of sex or sexuality evolve? Oh my God. So again, with that in mind, it's such a perfect segue. Like sex for me for so long was purely transactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, well, I'm going to do this and then you're going to like me or like, I'm going to do this and you're going to, you're going to think that my esteem is going up or like, if I, if I do you, then my status will be changed in some sort of way. And like, that is just so incorrect. It's like so wrong. And it's not, and I say that it's wrong, not to say that it's not effective for exactly this purpose. Like if (laughs) your actual like objective, like I think it would be relatively effective, but that was the only type of thing that I knew. And now it's really, it's really hard. Like I, I don't, a lot of the time, like, I don't know what I like. Like, I don't know. I, it took me so long to even identify that I had feelings. Cause I was like doing just like bulimia fuck shit over them that like the, the only feeling I ever got transmission was, was hunger And now I've learned by having three meals a day and two snacks and knowing when those things happen that like, I know when hunger is real, when hunger is not. So when I get a hunger cue, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is probably fear. Let's look at it. Fear usually has this many flavors. Okay. Which flavors are these? Oh, you're actually happy. You're, you're scared. (laughs) You're happy. Like something happened and you think someone's going to take it away. Like, that's cool. That's hope. (laughs) That's hope. That's fine. You know, or like, I'm like, oh, you didn't set a boundary. So you feel really uncomfortable and your skin is on fire and that's why you're hungry. So let's figure out, let's look around. Okay. This is actually the person you need to set the boundary with. Guess what? You don't have to do it today. Let's sleep on it. Let's figure it out. And so because I don't know my feelings, And because I'm so dissociative, like my biggest thing with sex was like, oh, like sex, my body was a soldier. My body was like a hologram. My body, you sent Mm. it to war. It got things that you wanted. You collected it at the end of the weekend on the other side. So I would be high. I would be stoned. I would be drunk. I would be energy drunk. You know, when you like crack someone's brain and then you like enmesh with them so hard because you try to find their trauma and you try to trauma bond as quickly as possible. Like that was like the only way I knew how to flirt. So I'm just like, if you didn't have my teeth marks on your jugular and if I, if I wasn't talking to you within the first three minutes about your mother, then we probably weren't fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I stopped having that kind of sex Hmm. and when I started having a body, not just a body, like you're fat, you're thin, you're this, you're that, like, oh, this, this is your problem area or like this, or like you're too old. Like Mm. once I just had a body that I was inside of, I am just now at 40 at the the place where I'm like, okay, what is pleasure for you? Mm. That isn't drugs, that isn't inappropriate attention from, from people who are like toxic or food or like buying something. You know, so what is pleasure for you on a body level? And I am just slowly beginning to find out. How do you tap into that? How do you, do you have like a practice that you work through so you get embodied and you tap into that? I meditate. Nice. And I take, and I, that sounds so like, oh yeah, you know, I have a personal mantra from my TM instructor. I don't do that. Like I do a 20 minute meditation after lunch because I'm tired 
And usually it's actually, I call it a meditation, but it's closer to a nap. <laughs> and, it, and it's guided and it gets me in my body. Like I think about nice. the way my body feels. It's guided to, it's like yoga nidra. And mm, I love like, yoga nidra. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, this is the space in between your fingers that I'm thinking about, mm. or like, this is your, you know, and I, I do that or like, I've learned that looking in a mirror because of my eating disorder and my body dysmorphia, like sometimes looking in the mirror is the least accurate depiction of my body. Mm. Like it takes me out. I feel like I'm watching a screen and I get in that mm. headspace a lot when I'm on Instagram too much where I'm like mm. looking at screens and people become screens. And so when I see a mirror, I become a screen. Mm. So what I do instead is I don't look in the, in the mirror and I just look down at my body. So mm. I look at my hands. I like look at my feet. I lotion my feet like lovingly, oh. you know? And I'm just like, thanks yeah. guys. Like, boy, we really inherited you from the mother's side. And that's probably suboptimal aesthetically speaking, but you guys are like, really like you're helping me out. You're good. You're still here. Like, yeah, I know you're dry. Yeah. I know you want a pedicure. Who doesn't, you know? And it's mm. just, that's how I get in my body. I also have a photo of myself as a child on my refrigerator mm. door. And anytime I fuck up, I really try to talk to that person. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like, motherfucker, why did you have to email this person three times? Because da da da, da you, you look like a crazy person. This person thinks you're crazy. This person thinks you are one of those like shrill, disorganized, slovenly women. But if I look at this photo, I'm just like, oh, you didn't know, or you were super anxious, or like you thought you were doing a really good job by answering right away instead of thinking yeah. about what you needed. And oh, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh man. Did it take you oh. a minute to like, I know <laughs> through endless <laughs> and awesome shout out David, the therapist who's not allowed to listen um, therapy that it took a while to um, really relate to and be kind to like my quote unquote inner child, because one, I thought that that language was cheesy. And two, I felt so uncomfortable and uncool and like unlovable apparently as a kid like I don't remember feeling that way but that's how I felt towards my like child self <laughs> that it took a it took probably like five years of you know weekly gestalt practice to really have a lot of tenderness and compassion and to want to like attach to and love and protect and advocate for the kid um how did you kind of create a relationship with that person Honestly, I think part of it was looking at that kid all the time. Mm. And then also, I think it was, I mean, ex just sort of accepting that I, in my experience, I don't really grow up. Like, I still just carry these people inside me. And so mm. everybody gets a seat at the table. Mm. Like, just because like I have to do a lot of like inner child work doesn't mean that I'm not a completely monstrous teenager also, <laughs> you know, and that person gets a, a seat at the table. And then also this sort of hectoring, harsh, strict, you know, stentorian disciplinarian parent, mm. that person also gets a seat at the table. And the thing is, the reason for this is that like, I am always going to be tender. I'm always going to think I'm helpless. I'm always going to think of myself as a victim first. 
I mean, not always. I don't know. This just seems to be my my like operating system now. I may I may get an upgrade. Who knows? <laughs> but, like, and that's fine. So that's my like my first set of emotions, and then it'll be like, well, why is this person victimizing you? Like, fuck them. They're horrible. Why are they doing this? They don't even know Teams. that they're doing this. Yeah, they're like gaslighting me. They you gotta attack first. Da da da. That's like the teen, and then it's like the sort of thing. It's just like, why do you have to have such a meltdown all the time? Like, why are you so sensitive? And why are you having a, a conniption tantrum? Why do you do this? You always do this. No, no, no. And that person gets a seat at the table. And the thing is, the reason why they all get a seat at the fucking table is that they don't shut up until they get a seat at the table. Mm, so it's absolutely. Like, I have to be gentle to the child. Mm. I have to acknowledge to the teen that shit is fucked up, that they're not wrong about shit being fucked up. But the teen doesn't know that people are imperfect. Mm-hmm. So the teen just has to sit with that because the teen's greatest fear is that they're not it, that they're not perfect. So their whole binary is based on that. And then the critical parent, you, ha- I'm like, I know that you you carry generations mm. like systemic trauma, and mm. you are a stranger in a strange land. I am your, I am my ancestors' dreams. It's a lot of fucking pressure, right? Just looking out for me with the very rudimentary, hella outmoded tools that you have. Thank you. Like that person just wants me to bow deep from the waist and be like, ugh, I appreciate you. Thank you. And then they will sit the fuck down because they're fucking tired. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of energy, but like constantly criticizing everything for sure. And they're, they're not doing it for their health. Yeah. You know? And so you just have to thank that person. And like, you know, someone asked me recently, like in doing all this work, are you constantly pathologizing yourself? Are you actually like, is it a foregone conclusion that you're always going to be sick because you see yourself as perpetually sick? And I'm just like, I really can see why you think that. And I have full on days where I'm like, I don't want to do any of the work, Mm. but it's like the, only way that I can get through a day and like be grateful is to give it space right and like yeah and like to bring it all in and accept it I so relate to that I've done so much therapy and I'm always (laughs) like god is there still fucking more to do you know I'm totally (laughs) I'm in another change in my life right now so it's like important that I do the work around something else right now and uh, I just I'm like, for fuck's sake, does it ever bloody end? And But at the same time, if I don't kind of have an attitude of gratitude, it's like I get to do this mm. because I get to shift the narrative. And so I have to welcome all of those facets of my internal to the table, as you say. And it's not that I pathologize myself. It's just that I get it, – it doesn't work stuffing it down and shutting it out. And because we're addicts, we know – that doesn't work for us anymore it's actually a freedom point right yeah i mean the thing is you know between the three of us we have probably tried every other fucking avenue (laughs) do you know what i mean like yeah i've tried so many drugs like i have tried so many different people i have tried so many fucking jobs i've changed my phone number 12 times i've changed my apartment 16 times like I, there, if there was any other way to do this, 
I would be really into it. And like, hundred percent. you know, I mean, it's just so remarkable, Rose, because it's like, who told us that we'd be done? <laughs> Do you know? Like, you get this idea, though. I think it's about everything. It's the world from? we live in. Mm. It's just that there's a destination. <laughs> Yeah, the prize. I'm always like, and the prize now goes to. But that's it, who? though. Like, because I remember we were talking to our friend Sabrina, who was a previous guest on this show, and I remember she said, like, when it happened, which was like ten days ago, maybe, she texted me and said that she'd been watching her thoughts um, every morning when she woke up because she was struggling with insomnia, and one morning, hi Sabrina, she woke up and, and the first thought was, "I love you, Sabrina." And like, if that's all I'm fucking doing this for, like, that's cool, you know, like, because that's such light years away from the kind of self-talk that's so aggressive and so negative and so cruel. And the reason why I was seeking to, of course, numb it out, you know, and even to be able to have access to the different voices and like, love the inner child and have compassion for the teen, you know, like all the, like, to do the parts work and then to watch it shift more towards benevolence as opposed to just kind of like, I need to shut this shit down. Otherwise I will die. You know, like I've never successfully gotten rid of any work anxiety by sending 17 emails. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I've tried. Let me know if you ever do. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I don't know, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we talk about like, why, why did we ever think it's going to end and like the prize or like the gift or the diploma, but like what gift prize or diploma have you ever gotten that didn't instantaneously like have zero returns? <laughs> like everything I've ever gotten, it's been like, Oh, well it didn't solve anything. And now I'm super worried about whether or not I'm going to get another prize ever again before I die. And like, I'm just like, so if that's true, and if every goal feels sort of like, like, maybe it's just about doing things that I like every day a little bit, even if it's really hard, even if it's really scary. And then that's actually the whole thing. The, the the broad tapestry of life and then we die like I don't, I don't know like I mean it sounds okay <laughs> it sounds okay I mean also it's what's available mm. like I'm not rolling around here being like oh yeah like you know like it's just what's available for me well I mean but I do think there are options I mean they might be grow or die <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, at least, you know, you mentioned being in 12 step programs and us too, and, you know, our, t- our kind of living within. Sorry, sober curious listeners who are like, what the fuck are you on? <laughs> um, but this, like, idea of continuity, you know, being a theme of the work that it's like when you're in 12, the goal is to get somebody back to one or is to just grow perpetually. Like, we talk about spiritual development, you know, it's not like spiritual destination (laughs) yeah and that like i think partially for us the the reason for starting the podcast was around sex it felt like a lot of the conversations were super stagnant and that there was not a lot of binary yeah Yeah. like it was like and you're in a long-term relationship and you just like have missionary normal like sex or you hate having sex you don't have sex sex, like you know that there was no idea of kind of continuity it was like sexual spiritual evolution or like embodiment as an evolution especially like later in life um 
Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like right now I'm in a place where like, I'm like enjoying like initiation and I'm like, Oh, this is, I am initiating and it's really artless. It's not like, (laughs) Ooh, like it's like, you know, there's some sort of like, it's not like woo woo. It's sometimes I'm just like, Hey, like I really need to have sex at this point. Like, it might be because that's what my initiation looks like too. <laughs> like totally. We're I like, need sex. Can yeah. we make time for it today? Okay. Yeah, like do you Great. have any bandwidth for? You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. a little bit schedule and maybe that's like a, you know, again, pretty artless, but like that's just kind of where I'm at and it's yeah. really nice and I have a partner who knows my sexual history and that too is like such intimacy and such a gift where it's like so such a gift such a gift and like that conversation didn't happen in the 45 minutes that I would have liked you know it happened over 5 years it right. like it happened when you know like everyone's just like fight or flight but i'm team freeze <laughs> and so which is like feign death <laughs> yeah totally and i have that Not it. Not it. Not it. <laughs> totally totally just like and you know, I have frozen in sex a lot just because of trauma and like different types of like PTSD around sex. And the first time I ever had sex, I was 13, which is too young for me. Mm, yeah. And that's me too. You were 13? Yeah, around that. Age. I just mean, like it's just too young. It's too young. It's like, too year young. Old now and I'm yeah. like, hello. <laughs> like, my goodness, you're like <laughs> you're budding. You are like barely yeah. green on the vine like you're baby yeah <laughs> yeah you were just born what like, the fuck I, is going on i know <laughs> i have fucking trousers your age or older like yeah. this is crazy uh, um but yeah. you know and and no shade because i don't know like everybody develops at a different age but like that for me was too young and the circumstances for a long time i was just like i was raped and then even that language i was just like this feels wild and i thought it was like I'm like, are you playing the rape, rape game? Is this like the this, that game? And I'm like, no. And then for a while it was like, I was date rape because I felt like I had willingly gone on this like date with this person. And then I finally got the language around it through writing about it and step work and all this stuff, which was that like, I was like, that was coercion. That was sexual coercion. Mm-hmm. That was no, that was not consent. It was certainly not enthusiastic, affirmative, mutual. It was just like obliging because and and freezing mm-hmm. because sex for me and my sex education up until that point was largely dictated around shame, secrecy, indirectness, and sin, mm. and so. You know, I had sex with this person under duress and was so scared because I felt bad about it and it didn't feel right. But I was, I had this fantasy that this person would like meet me in like a court of law. And like, if, if it ever came to pass where that language was like, did this and this happen? that person could always have plausible deniability. And Mm -hmm. so that was like self-gaslighting. It made me feel crazy. I didn't think about it. But 
my gaslighting is the worst. And thank you for naming that. Like, yeah. yeah. Because the whole question is a conversation with yourself about being like, are you crazy? You're crazy. Are you crazy? Am I crazy? You're crazy. Like, and yeah, like, is what you saw real? Is what you felt real? And as someone who only had hunger as like a North Star of feelings, I was just like, oh, it does not compute. 404 error message. (laughs) Yeah. But but like, that was, that's what happened. Hmm. And like, I'm not in, I'm not saying to victim blame, but for me personally, the part of it that I could take responsibility for so that I could forgive myself without having to confront this other person or having this other person admit it to me without having to need anything else from another person. I had to be like, okay, this is what you felt feelings about. Like you felt like you that you felt like no looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. You think that you should have, unless you kicked him in the balls and kicked him off and screamed at him and said, fuck you, don't touch me. Uh, like, unless you did that, everything else is basically a yes. And I really had to interrogate that. And mm. my, so I had to be able to be like, do you have a fault in this? And I had to start from yes, because you didn't say no in exactly this way. Mm-hmm. And then I had to be like, no, actually that the onus of that isn't on you. That's what consent right. is. That's what like a f- enthusiastic, very clear, mutual affirmative consent is. And then for me, I had, I had to be like, Hey, guess what? Like you're dissociative and you have a a lot of shame. And when you feel shameful, you freeze. And when you freeze, you can't talk. So for you, consent may never be verbal. Mm. But can you talk to your partner about how that might be the case? Mm. And so those are the things, and it, it is really advanced and it is a lot of work, but that's just what I needed. And like, so I really did have to think about my part in it. Again, like this isn't victim blaming for me. It was just to, to be able to see what my worst thinking around it was mm. so that I can Sorry, interrogate bro. it. Yeah. And it was gnarly. It was really, it, it, it took a long time, but that's what I mean by language is important. Like, unless I knew what coercion was, then I would be like, was it date rape? I don't know. Was it even a date? Right. Like, you know, all this stuff. Well, also and- let's just put in the fact that you were 13 as well in yeah. there because and, and forgiving oneself for not having the language or having the skills at that point one thing I had to really come to terms with was I, I always was told I was promiscuous you know so then that just meant that I took ownership of having a large amount of sexuality as a child but I was still a child do you yeah. know what I mean so it's not that I blamed other people for that but I had to get to a point where I was like no but you were a kid so yeah, all of the the rules around consent, consent and things like that were not actually appropriate at that point because I didn't have an adult language system around that, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, and also as a child, a lot of that sexuality is like self exploration. It's all about like the thing that you're holding within this like really precious, wonderful thing that you have. I mean, it's like we make our own drugs. Like sex is dope. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. dope. Like all of it is amazing, you know? And 
And we're at that place where we're just exploring it and it just gets interfered with by like expectation, a lot male gaze, especially at that age, like Jesus fucking Christ, I think now. And I'm just like, all of you are monsters and great. How old were they? They were like adults. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, how, I don't know. It always blows my mind when I'm like, my boyfriend, like my first boyfriend was like in his twenties and I was under 16. I'm like, what the fuck? If that was now, I would be like seriously kicking off about that shit, you know? Totally. And I, same, (laughs) I had that too. Like I was 13 and I dated a guy who was like, and it's so funny because he was like 21 and he was like, he he tried out for like a, an Olympic swim team. He was like very, it was very much a catch. But I also knew like one time he told me that his favorite photographer was Ansel Adams, and I was like, Ugh, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, as a thirteen-year-old, <laughs> I you know I was a fucking child, and I was just really yeah. sensitive, and really smart, and really totally. talk the talk. And that's again why like verbal consent can look one way and actually be experienced as another. And that's why talking about sex is so important because like, it's just, it is really different. Like I'm not looking out of your eye holes and we're both bringing so much baggage here about what being attractive looks like bonkers isn't it it's like enough with the diagrams enough with the diagrams (laughs) at school enough with the fucking cucumbers and the condoms like let's have chats do you know what i mean because that's the only education i got around sex which was like this is why we we was like condom or no condom and i'm just like that looks like effort no condom morning after pill please (laughs) yeah but also like even with the whole sex thing it's like how is it that the person who's talking about sex and teaching you about sex is never talking about their personal experience with sex? And I know that that's such a fucking fucked up can of worms, but like, <laughs> and not like I like it. Like, it's not appropriate, yeah. just the emotional stuff around it. Like, you know, right. not even cautionary, right. right? Like where it's just like, you know, and that is how you syphilis, you know, it's, it's not that part. It just right. like, just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I wasn't ready and this is why I, I wasn't ready, but this is why I, and this is what I it looked ready. like. Yeah. And, and this is why yeah. I thought it was ready. And like, you know, this, and even it's just, the whole thing is so wild. Like sex is so wild. And well, yeah. Especially because I do think there is a cultural aspect that is really hard to name around sex, dating, and relationships. Like you, like us, are an expat, and you said you grew up in Hong Kong or as a Korean, and then moved to the U.S. when you're teens. And I know that, like, I moved to France in, when I was like 27. Rose, you moved here what? 29. And and it was like no one could talk about it because like. It's like you're, if you're in water, you don't. If you're a fish in water, you don't know you're in water. Like mm, totally, it was, it was very. So it's been very. It was very difficult to name. And I think part of the reason I kind of got into like and felt, imp- it felt important to kind of discover my own language around sex and kink was because like I couldn't decode. <laughs> like nothing made any sense. That like the the rituals and the language and the ideology around sex consent like even like kind of 
masculine feminine behaviors was like so absurd. Like I no way I could crack this code. Did you find that kind of when you were, I guess, coming of age (laughs) in the US that the cultures were super different and and perhaps indecipherable? I mean, America's super weird. It's like the one place where like I don't understand this like moral issue around sex thing. I mean, I do obviously mm. because it's my it's my upbringing, but like the puritanical nature of sex, the fact that like abstinence would even be considered as like a conversation around sex education, like these things like I mean, the legacy of all these things is through is is pervasive. The fact that we criminalize porn, the fact that Pornhub one of the most you know, commercial, widespread, powerful, thorough, like totally just transparent about self-policing, rigorous, truly rigorous around their like um, procedures and best practices around like revenge porn or like anyone underage or like anything like that. Like, you know, the fact that like people who work there can't like get credit cards or get PayPal payments or like anything like, or like the fact that like only fans people, the most, the, the single most self, like removing the middleman of any sort of like male manager or any sort of like apparatus that usually like privileges men and these systemic sort of things so much. The fact that only fans the most like progressive and, you know, the fact that those people can't get paid because like, infrastructure in America pretends that like porn and sex and kink doesn't exist. Like that is such a weird, just like shroud all over anything yeah. to do with sex. A and a shame as well, isn't it? It's yeah. just like a deniability and, of a whole part of ourselves. Well, and meanwhile, and like Instagram and Facebook, like yeah. <laughs> government who's okay, but no, no, like there, I, I, somebody who I hope will soon be a guest on this pod was like a bunch of their photos, including just like they're trans. So like a trans person kissing a girl done like, like (laughs) that too. And that's the thing is like the level of like hypocrisy and the decisions made around like how, and it's not even a conversation that feels like it's not even about like violence and our relationship with violence and like our relationship with sexuality and how those two things are just like, how is one thing demonized over the other? Like mm. that's one conversation, but it's the hypocrisy of how sex is a real thing. Like, well, no, and that we can sell it to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's commodified. And it's like, and the fact that like, you're like, oh, but we're like pious because you're, the money is somehow not accessible to you or like we are in- introducing danger in how you access this as a living. Like all of that stuff is like f- fucking ridiculous. But which is to say that like that is everywhere, you know, like that is everywhere if- in fucking in America. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a serial monogamous. And I think that part of that is because I didn't interrogate what I wanted in myself. And so it kind of back burners that whole conversation of attraction where it's just like, yeah, <laughs> do I like this person? Who cares? They're here, you know? And like the shortest (laughs) relationship I ever had was like seven months or something. And so I've been, yeah. (laughs) So so intense. (laughs) I've been in back to back five-year relationships because that is how long I can endure not knowing someone, but while being intimate with them, apparently, you know? Right. And, and so that was a lot of it. It was like, I didn't have a lot of promiscuity, but I did have, a lot of like having sex with 
people I didn't really like that much. Not only having sex, but being in long-term relationships. Being, being in long-term relationships with like inappropriate people. So how do, what, what looks different about that today? Well, I'm married, so that person's really stuck. Oh, no, congratulations. congratulations. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're amazing. And like what's changed, I think, is that like sex is no longer transactive. Sex is no longer something I'm giving to you or that's being done at me or like whatever. And for me, that's been really huge. And like intimacy around, like I always thought, and this is so sad. And like, I am feeling vestigial shame and saying this out loud. So I'm going to say it. Like, I always thought that if I, that there was such a thing as successful sex where like everybody had to climax where even if, if I, even if like I didn't come, it was somehow like going to be like seen as some kind of insult. So that too was like a priority. And like, you know, and mm. If you're just thinking about all of this while you're having sex, it's like, okay, so how intimate are you? And, Mm -hmm. but also in having a partner that I really, really trust, who's also doing a lot of work, like a lot of that joy is that I'm like, so what is sex like for you? And they were like, it's kind of like this amazing tunnel. And I was just like, is that because you're a dude and you're like invading (laughs) the crevices of a woman? No, 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 no. He's just because he's really anxious and he's, um, hypersensitive. So his thresholds for perception are very low. And so he's almost like daredevil where it's just like, there's just too much information all the time. And he's just like, it's like being in a tunnel where like, basically the tunnel is like sensory deprivation. And there's just one thing you have to pay attention to. Huh. And it's like That's such a cool way to think about sex. I know. Oh, cool. And I was like, is that, about it like that? Yeah. And I was like, is that man (laughs) like is that what manning is like i don't know and i was just like that's amazing but to be able to have that i'm like oh so his experience has to do with the the act of it the intimacy it he's not thinking like oh what is my dick gonna do or like oh like you know is she soft in this one area or like whatever it's like nothing to do with that and like that was really important for me to hear yeah and also really again the the artlessness of initiating sex is like because there's so much mutuality in that for us both to be able to be like hey i i need a sex like is there a sex available in the next i don't know like is there one sex for me here today you know because that conversation is so lighthearted and because both of us can do that at any given time like that's also really beautiful and you know how we were talking about like, I thought we would be done with therapy by now. (laughs) Like, you know, there's also this idea of like what exciting sex feels like, or even to call sex exciting is just like so mis It's so inappropriate. It's just sex is like this amazing place that we can go together. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's, it's, it's just like meditation. And it's just like, like, it's just like peeking on drugs. It's just like all these other things that were within the realm of human experience. And, but then it's been like, but then I have all this like old programming on like 
you have to look this way in order mm-hmm. to enjoy sex or right. you or hotness is Which, this one thing yeah. you know like and so that's a lot of it too but it's crazy too the i'd the, like how and again kind of in being in recovery and doing a lot of work on like self-perception and like trying to stay in the body, (laughs) like how different actual embodiment and like kind of mutual communication and like that, the magic shit, like that magic shit that we can experience together that we call sex. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like how different that is from like the idea that I have for so long subscribed to in terms of like what is sexy or what is hot yes. or how do I need to be to be desirable and nah, nah, nah. it's and it's so it's like the mo it's could not be more different <laughs> totally and like now I'm really glad for things like you know like big dick energy and like just like all of the or just like spiritual hotness like because all of these things are so hot and it's it's it has nothing to do with like any of like the sort of like preamble to sex that we've been sold. It's just like, Mm. or, and I, and it's not even like monogamy, right? Like I love being able to see a person be like, oh my God, such hot spirit. Or like, (laughs) you know, where I'm just like, oh my people on the street, such hot spirit. (laughs) You, 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 you know, garbage spirit. No, (laughs) watching like all the trees, such hot spirits. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you watch the um, Fran Lee Woods documentary with Martin Scorsese? Yeah, I was obsessed with it. I'm okay, I'm now reading her book. She's I'm amazing. So, I'm so, obsessed with it. You know, every single fucking piece of footage from her back in the day, or every photo where she's just eye fucking the living shit out of you. Yeah, like that is like I'm so hot, so hot. Like that's that spirit, Fran Lee Woods. <laughs> yes, I mean that's just like hot energy. That's like. That's like leaping at me from the other room, hot energy. And like, I love that there's language around that. And I, and I love that, you know, when I say like, oh my God, don't like I fucking, did you feel, and everyone's just like, oh my God, the I fucking on that big dick energy and about a photograph from the 1970s of a woman. You know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) it doesn't really matter. Intellectual. Intellectually. Yeah, it's so palpable. You just feel her hotness through yes. it, and there's something about her that I'm just like, I I would be to be honest. And it's interesting because I have a friend here who interviewed her in the like 80s or something, mm-hmm. and he was just like, I was so intimidated and so terrified. And she was actually like a real sweetheart to interview and everything. But I was just like, if I ever saw her, I would fucking melt. I would totally. literally, it would be the end of me. Totally. Like, and, like, end. and that's the thing. Like when you're thinking about how you would just fucking like, just melt when you saw yes. her because of her like tart rejoinders and like the sort of like mental acuity and the lip. Oh, so fucking hot. And how, that has absolutely nothing to do with like penetrative sex or like right. orgasm. But that's I'm not even thinking about a penis it's at that like point. The, the, like the Esther Perel model of like erotic energy is vital. It's like it's she's it's totally. vitality. And it's, it's totally, like it's it's chi shit, man. <laughs> it's totally. it's I mean, and it's also sustainable, you know, because it's like she's a like spewing that at what probably close to 70 and i'm like i want to be like that when i'm close to 70 far after like i could possibly be an instagram influencer (laughs) and you can give it away like that's the thing because i don't have to not get i fucked 
by this hot energy or this like spiritual vibe or like I don't have to not want to fuck the shit out of how well read this person is yeah, you know yeah. like and that's amazing and I, I I do think that is like a mellowness and that is kind of coming out of like this like very very myopic definition of mm. what sex is and this sort of obliteration of like the sexy paradigm because that's garbage because like totally. I want like horniness like fucking horniness is fucking everything um i have a question for both of you how did we love when you get questions on our own podcast (laughs) (laughs) we created podcasts basically so our guests would ask (laughs) our questions what have your own journeys been like in terms of like your own kink and your own sexual like proclivities and like what you like and don't like and has there been anything that surprised you either by how much you liked it or even by how much you didn't like it? Mm, That is a great question for sure. And I, like you, am a serial monogamist. And so, you know, I always get to work these things out in relationships. I'm also married. And so um, my journey with it has been, I'm bisexual as well, but married to a man and having to figure that out in a marriage has been really interesting. Mm. Um, not that we're at this point inviting anybody in, into that space or anything like that, but just figuring out how I communicate Hear around. No, <laughs> no. Or, we're both, so we've talked not about yet, it. Apparently I think it's <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Hey, no. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, we're so jealous. We're both like, you know, we're both like in recovery, you know, so we're just like feral. If anybody's just like talking nicely at somebody else, I'm just like, ah, cat piss on that person. <laughs> um, so yeah, we both discussed that not being an option for the moment, but just also around communicating and also doing this podcast, because it's not like we did this podcast out of a place like we're fucking sex experts. We were just like, there's a need we want to talk. for a space. <laughs> around this conversation let's do it it wasn't like let's uh, inform people in the world you know so it's really changed how I communicate about it and also that having kind of been born in COVID years the curiosity has had to change because I don't get to do that go away come back desire Mm. creation elastic band situation thing so just sort of like holding it in tenderness and like you just said just like being direct sometimes and that's actually really hard for somebody like me to do I'm not a very direct person so being direct is actually a real sign of health for me so I and I think health looks different for everybody doesn't it in that area you know depending on what you come from totally and like yeah I think that again same here like as someone who does not like verbal consent to initiate (laughs) verbally is tough but it's so fine when we've been doing when we we just developed a system around it. And so we kind of know what it's asking. We know what to expect. 100%. Yeah. What about you, Liz? Uh, um, I mean, again, like it's it's shifting constantly. And I think I'm learning, especially as a result of these conversations, to kind of pay better attention and to like not shame myself around desires. Because like I def- when I kind of – it was uh, around five years ago, like four and a half years ago when I first kind of felt like I got permission to explore kink for myself. I'd always like thought it was for other people, but I'd always been very interested. So like 
having kind of permission, like, oh, this is for you too, is <laughs> very, very exciting. Um, and I kind of feel like I hit like a sub frenzy when just everything was kind of sexualized and that was really fun and exciting. And now being in like a relationship for like four and a half years, which is like four times the longest I've ever been in a relationship was, is, um, the thing I'm focusing on today that I'm really enjoying, especially because like Rose said, there's no, like, it's difficult often to kind of create, uh, desire with separation and like longing, which is definitely my thing. Um, yeah, same. like I love longing, but, um, if you're constantly in the same house, it's challenging, um, <laughs> has been to like both express and entertain my own like desire. And like, I love intrigue. <laughs> so to kind of even acknowledge that without having to like follow the thread to the end where I fucking like cause harm and hate myself yeah it's been so liberating because it's like it's lifted the shame off of it and like I don't feel like it's in shadow anymore and I can use the energy really creatively it's like really really strong creative energy without having to kind of like take action which is a new concept like we had a guest a a couple weeks ago Jessica Graham and she was talking about like you, you can want to fuck any everything but like you can also just use the energy of just desire. Like you can kind of build it and channel it. And so I've been focusing on that and it's been really like fruitful. <laughs> no, You've changed so much with that leaps and bounds with yeah, that, haven't you? Putting it into your work, <laughs> like lose work has changed. It's really crazy to watch. It's your all about friend. sex now. <laughs> no, but you use that energy in performance. It's extraordinary. It's like right. night and day. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. That's like amazing. Cause like, I'm always going to want that life force in my work. So I'm always incentivized. I mean, that's the other thing, like going back to like, why, why do you do this kind of work? Like this seems hard. Da, 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 da. It's like, you can have that intentionality and really channel stuff into things that you will always be motivated by, like your creative practice. Like, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, the difference between like having a day where you were like, just like creatively fruitful versus like barren. Like being able to have a little bit of a say in that by being able to channel that kind of energy into like one specific conduit, like that is a fucking superpower and it's not available until you figure out that work. Well, especially because I think the like the barrenness is often, or at least in my case, and perhaps for you guys also like caused by acting out and then feeling yeah. shame. <laughs> like instead of totally. kind of putting it into creation, I put it into destruction and then it empties out as opposed to kind of like filling a vessel of like whatever I'm working on. And then it, we're not working from a level of depletion. I mean, because that's the thing about shame. It's like the fucking hangover on that shit. It's like, my God. <laughs> And such a drain, such a drain. And like, Mm. so that's another huge incentive, like to do this is that like, you get to see it in your work. That is massive. That's probably the number one reason why I do anything. Right. And like, that's totally another program, the one for like, (laughs) you know, but whatever, but like, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know. I think that that's amazing. And like what you were saying about, um, like kink is so interesting because, so much of that too was me playing with shame, but still within a transactive place mm-hmm. and often using the person I'm having sex with as like blunt force trauma without their consent. Yeah. You know, like basically like 
you know, subbing without any conversation about that being the thing and like, and then hurting myself with them and yeah. having them be sort of complicit in that way, but never being able to say anything because that power dynamic in a cis het type situation always is presumed to lie with the man. And so like, I sometimes think about like the people that I might may have traumatized by like, like having sex with like at them and then leaving as shamefully mm-hmm. as though they had done something to me and the messaging around what that might be like and, right. and how only through having agency, I can see that as a dynamic that I could have not only been a party to, but like actually initiated and how insidious that is. Cause well, like, and it's so yeah. exciting that like within this, the, like within these conversations, it's coming up more and more often, like what dynamics can look like if they're explicit and how the kind of assumed, like there's a lot of assumed bullshit around any kind of kink, right. That like, it's somehow abusive or whatever, you know? And so this idea of like making it very like, like you've said multiple times, like language is important, Yeah, you know, expressing and, and consenting and like discussing for both sides of whatever dynamic one is entering into is super, super vital and it keeps it safe and healthy. Oh, sorry. It's time. <laughs> I'm not sure for what. <laughs> so many alarms, <laughs> bad podcast, bad podcast hosts. <laughs> no, but like, I think that that's really huge. Like, I think that that is a part of healthy sex and like, you know, yeah, like I don't need to use it as an instrument of self-harm and I don't need to like, like punch myself with your dick today. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Please, can we make that an extract? <laughs> that will be the, the pull quote for this episode, <laughs> For today, for today, for today. <laughs> amazing. We'll have to ask you back just to be like a third host because you are so fantastic. Oh, you man. are incredible. This I'm, is so your fantastic third podcast. <laughs> no, I'm really grateful for the space, and um, yeah, thank you for just hosting and just initiating. Oh, you know, oh. we're trying. We're all trying to learn how. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, so. Before we we let you go, we're going to have to drag you into this lightning round, Okay. Um, <laughs> which we accidentally previously sent you the questions for, but you'll have to pretend that you didn't receive them and just answer intuitively. So your Wikipedia says that you co-wrote a book of wise anecdotes with DJ Khaled. <laughs> what? <laughs> what was the best piece of advice that you garnered from DJ Khaled? Oh my God. Okay. So to be fair, I, I like only browse these because I I start rehearsing whenever I see the questions and that always just like tanks in podcasts but like so I did write The Keys the New York Times bestseller The Keys with DJ Khaled and actually amazing yeah like some of the advice was just like not explicit like it was more that like I sort of had to take the initiative to get on his tour bus because we didn't have enough time to do the interviewing. And so I think that like that was, you know, I had to have a lot of initiative around doing that. And that was really valuable for me to see. The other thing that he said that I will always remember, and at the time I resented it so fucking much, (laughs) but he, we were talking about something and the book was taking longer than I, I would, I was contracted for. And so I wanted to talk to him about money and 
he was telling me how inappropriate it was for me to talk about money while we were still having a creative conversation. And so the lesson there is it's really true. Like I got so anxious that I would get scared and not have this uncomfortable conversation with him that I had it at an inappropriate time. He's just like, listen, I'm an artist. Are you an artist? And I was like, um, and he's like, listen, you're an artist. I wouldn't have not an artist write this thing for me. You're an artist. And I was like, okay. And he's just like, we're creating art right now. Like, let's not talk, talk about money right now. Let's talk about it later. Like we can talk about it later. You can bring it up later. And I was just like, you know what? That's actually true. And the conversation around that is just like, he's being a man. He's trying to like, to force me out of having this uncomfortable conversation. But like, whether that's true or not, I need to just trust that I will talk to him about money and there will be a good time for it. Which is kind of beautiful because in in that conversation, it, you actually did get financial advice from DJ Khaled. Totally, totally. Meta. <laughs> Very meta. So awesome. What are you reading or watching at present that feels nourishing? Okay, so nourishing. That's fascinating. No, um, I am reading... I just finished The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which was incredible. I read it in like two days. Um, just fi- finished um, Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. I thought that that was just like a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful and rigorous um, lesson in like framing how like cultural identity affects your identity as an artist and like the art that you make and like all those conversations that can be really, really recursive. That was like an amazing book for me to read. Um, I am also, yeah, like that's what I'm reading. I'm watching. I just finished Bridgerton. How and is I, that? I, I, think <laughs> I, I, like that? I think I hated it. <laughs> I really didn't like it. I really didn't like it, but I watched the whole thing because there was something so like, it was almost like reluctantly transportive. Like I was just like, I hate it here, but at least I'm not there. And so I just kind of <laughs> finished it. <laughs> um, hate yeah. watching Bridgerton. Cool. <laughs> but it wasn't, and I don't usually hate watch, but there was something sort of about that sensation that I didn't, didn't super mind. Um, I was also watching the flight attendant, but then I abandoned that, which is on HBO. And so, yeah, I'm not currently watching a lot. Fair enough. But you enjoyed the Frank, uh, Fran Lebowitz documentary? Oh, my God. How am I not talking about that? I just watched um, Pretend It's a City, the Fran Lebowitz, Lebowitz um, documentary. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so incredible. The, the, the day after we finished it, we went to the Queen's Museum to see the diorama that oh, she's walking rad. around from, like, the 80s and, like, that was amazing. I mean, that, oh my God. And also, how am I not talking about this? Like, um, John Wilson, that show where it's like, it's, he's like just doing how to things around New York and like he's constantly shooting. And so his B roll of New York is just like abundant and it's such paradise. And like that Fran Leibowitz show and that show, like both of those are, it's like visiting New York from before times. And so that was like a real tonic oh. from my heart. Yeah. That's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> in chorus. Um, what is one way in which you're being gentle with yourself today? I am just acknowledging that I'm freaked out. Like my, 
I'm writing a script, a free feature script for the adaptation of permanent record for, um, for Warner brothers. And I'm turning it in today and I had to ask for a two day extension. And, um, I'm really proud of myself because I didn't know how to do it. And I read a lot of books and I watched a lot of different movies and I sort of wrote it, but I'm really, really scared. Like I really think someone's going to be like, Oh, good thing you spent all this time doing this. Cause it's not it. And I'm for today, the gentleness is that I'm scared about turning that in and that it might not be perfect and it's really fine. And, um, that I might need a nap and that's fine too. <laughs> and I might not get half things. Cause like my, the thing, my, knee-jerk reaction is like, oh my God, your script is due. Oh my God, you also have a podcast. You have to make your parent, you have to find a way to get your parents vaccinated for Corona today also. Like that's <laughs> what my brain does. It's just like, you're freaked out. Let's give you more. And so what I'm doing today is yeah. understanding that maybe that's not going to happen. Nice. I love the way that you have that dialogue with yourself. It's so tender. <laughs> I'm hilarious. Like I, <laughs> you all, re- I know I really want to do some shit where I'm like, I see that this is where you want to go. <laughs> I affirm it. <laughs> I love you, but holy shit, why? <laughs> like, <that laughs> holy why right now? <laughs> like that's so wild. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. It's just it's so funny, but yeah, that's just where I'm at. Yay. And what is your love language? Oh Giving my God. Or receiving or both if they're different. Um, I actually need a lot more physical contact than I ever dre- dreamt. Like I didn't know that. <laughs> so I like an inside hug where like my shoulders, both my arms and my shoulders go inside both your arms and shoulders. So you just go over the top. Yeah. Um, and I, I need Classic that sort of inside like, hug. <laughs> I need an inside hug sometimes. Um, but my love language mostly is the ways in which I am silently cared for. So, oh my God. So like if I come downstairs and like my partner has already made their cup of tea, but my mug is also by the tea kettle. Like, I'm just like, oh, like that is just like <laughs> the intense. dreamiest thing. And because yeah. anything that has to do with like my, like the kid that I look at on the fridge door who is like panicked and thinks that everything's going to be haywire. It's just any conversation that is had with that person where I'm like, Oh, here's my mug. Like it's clean. It's dry. Like I hate a wet, wet mug. Like, like, and that's how I start my day. Like anything like that is just like unbelievable. Um, any, yeah. And even like a friend being like, Hey, I'm thinking about you that too. Like, I, lo- I love that. I Yeah, that's so nice. Like, I also think about you, and I didn't even text you when I thought about you. <laughs> like, <laughs> so nice. Oh, that's beautiful. What, what lovely ways to be loved and to give love. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm at Choi to the World, C-H-O-I to the World on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. I've posted nothing. Um, and that's also <laughs> Don't know how to website. use it too old. Don't- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But, um, but also please support my book. Like, I don't know if you know this, but all the pre-orders. So like, you'll have like 
three months to like for everyone to order the book, all of those orders go towards your first week of sales. And so anything that can come out the out the gate as a success is just really dictates the the health and prosperity of that book. And um, so that would be really meaningful. Pre-orders really, really matter. So if you are at all interested, please pre-order Yoke out March 2nd. Do it. Absolutely. And please, please, please let us know how we can promote that. Oh, um, thank you so much. And our socials because it just sounds fantastic and an important piece of work. Thank you guys. This was so fun. This was a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. 